0: It is my hope that through these episodes, people can learn not only what it takes to be an effective nonprofit organization, but to hear real stories from real leaders who are successfully making a positive impact in their communities. We hope you enjoy this series as together we hear how they're making their world better. Welcome to the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast, making your world better. When it comes to nonprofit organizations, everything rises and falls on leadership. And a critical aspect of good leadership is the ability to solve problems. I think we all would agree with that. Well, today's guest started a nonprofit that is dedicated to helping you become a better leader. My guest today is a person whose name most all of you will recognize, Carly Fiorina. She's a former presidential candidate and former CEO of Hewlett Packard. After she ran for the GOP presidential nomination, she next pursued her current philanthropic efforts by starting the Unlocking Potential Foundation. Her primary focus now through the foundation is building the leadership capacity of nonprofit organizations and their teams by providing these leaders with the tools and resources to strengthen their problem solving skills and thereby maximize their social impact. Well, in today's show, we're going to talk about leadership with Carly using her extensive leadership experience to address some of the biggest challenges we face as nonprofit leaders. Enjoy today's show. Carly, it's wonderful to have you on the show today, and I would love to start out by talking a bit about your leadership experience. I mean, you have had a large swath of leadership experience in both the public and private spheres, as well as the nonprofit sector and the for-profit sector. So perhaps you could start us off today by sharing your biggest leadership challenges that you have faced over your career.
1: Well, I think your question, and thanks so much for having me, Rob, gets to what is actually the purpose of leadership? And it's different than management. Management is about doing the best you can, perhaps even producing extraordinary results within the way things are. Leadership is about changing the way things are. And in particular, leadership is about solving festering problems that everyone always knows about, but too often no one does anything about that's what leadership is about. It's about changing the order of things for the better. And so whether it was as a entry-level employee faced with a festering problem that my customer had that no one would solve, or whether it was coming in as a CEO to a tradition-bound company that had been extremely successful but now needed to really return to its original roots of innovation and leadership, and I'm speaking of Hewlett Packard of course, the challenge of leadership is always the same, to change the order of things for the better. And the reason it's hard is because change is hard. And even though people know the problems exist and they complain about the problems and they say they want the problems fixed, the status quo always has enormous pull and enormous power. And so resistance is real. And it has to be overcome. And leadership is the catalyst
0: to do so. You mentioned already one of your hallmark achievements was becoming the CEO of Hewlett Packard at really a critical time. And, and you really turned that company around and uh, continued their success. Uh, everyone is heard of that company. And I think that's where you particularly got on uh, the national level of leadership. Tell us about that experience. I mean, what did you enjoy most about serving in that role? And what advice would you give, especially to emerging young women leaders, about your experience?
1: Of course, it was a privilege, and it was an honor. Hewlett-Packard um, was a storied company um, with a great tradition. It was the founding company of Silicon Valley. But as I say, it had lost its way. It was known before I came to serve as Hewlett-Packard's CEO. It had become known as the Gray Lady of Silicon Valley, sort of revered but not really driving Change, not really leading the pack, sort of a fading star. And I was brought in to transform the company, not by changing everything, but by restoring it to leadership. And so our mantra while I was there became preserve the best, reinvent the rest. And I think that balance between preservation of what's working and reinvention of what's not working anymore is really what all organizations face when they are trying to lead successful change. It was, of course, a huge challenge because the status quo is always powerful, but particularly in companies that have been successful, in companies with rich, deep traditions. Um, There was something in HP called the HP Way, and originally it referred to the core values of HP, which were about innovation and teamwork and customer service and respect for the individual. But that phrase, the HP way, became something you threw around as a shield against change of any kind or even the discussion of a new idea. No, 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 we don't do it that way. It's not the HP way. Uh, and so it was challenging to get the right balance between preserving what was right about the HP way and reinventing what we needed to reinvent, because after all, in technology in particular, if you're not leading, you're lagging, and if you're not changing, you're failing. Um, I would also say there was a special challenge because of who I was. I was the first outsider, to ever become the CEO of the company. I was the first non-engineer, I didn't come from Silicon Valley, and of course I was the first woman. And so all of those firsts um, placed a special scrutiny, a special burden, um, a special set of expectations. What I would say based on that, you know, I was, I'll was i just say on a personal level, I was stunned the first day on my job. Nobody wanted to talk about HP or the labs or innovation or the plans to turn things around, and we definitely were in a turnaround situation. Everybody wanted to talk about the fact that I was a woman, and it was sort of stunning and off-putting and added a special level of difficulty. What I would say to women out there is understand that it is different when you're different, However you're different, Uh, whether you're a person of color in a white person's world, whether you're a woman in a man's world, when you're different, it's different. The scrutiny is different. The criticism is different. The expectations are different. And yet, don't get a chip on your shoulder because for all those burdens, there are also people who will help you. There are blessings to that difference as well be who you are, be as good as you are, be as smart as you are, be as brave as you are, be a realist about it, but don't become bitter about it because there are loads of people who will embrace and celebrate that difference and get on the team and row in the same direction as you. And that has always been my experience.
0: Well, it's fantastic. And I think what's, um, especially good for my listeners as you've served in both the for-profit sector, but also the nonprofit sector. And so a question about leadership, does leadership in your opinion look differently in a for-profit company versus a nonprofit organization? If so, how should leadership look differently? Or if not, what do both sectors have in common when it comes to leading people?
1: So I think the context is different, but leadership is always the same. What I mean by the context is obviously in many cases, the for-profit world has a greater abundance of resource. In the for-profit world, you're dealing with a different set of goals. In the nonprofit world, resources are so frequently constrained. There isn't the same investment in human capital frequently, which is why I'm privileged to do the work we do now through my foundation on building human capacity in the nonprofit world. The mission is different. And so, therefore, the measures of success are different. It's different when you are working with a homeless population than when you are uh, trying to put out the latest and greatest in PCs. And yet, leadership is always the same. A leader is always focused on collaborating with others to achieve goals, whatever they are. A leader is always focused on unlocking potential in others, not just their own, but others' potential as well so that more can be achieved. A leader is always focused on changing the order of things for the better and solving the festering problems that are right in front of them. And a leader to do those things always must be courageous and have the character to keep going when the going gets tough. And the humility and the empathy to collaborate successfully with others, particularly those who may be different than the leader. And a leader always has to be both realistic and as well see the possibilities for positive change. Those things are the same.
0: I like that, that uh, you need to be realistic on the one hand, but also see those areas where you need to change and be bold enough to move forward. And that kind of gets us to some of the themes in your leadership training. One of the things you do with your foundation, which we'll get to in a bit, is you are obviously training leaders. And one of the key themes in your leadership training is this. Learn to esteem each other's perspectives and to value the contribution each person makes. So why is it so important that we as leaders listen and esteem other people's perspectives and value their contribution?
1: Because no leader, no matter how experienced a leader is or brilliant they are, no leader can do it all by themselves. The truth is nothing worth doing ever happens with someone acting alone. And particularly when you're dealing with festering problems and difficult issues, no one's smart enough to have all the answers. And so a leader is humble enough to understand, I need help. I need other people's perspective. I need good ideas from others. Humility is not false modesty. It's not saying, oh, I have nothing to add here or I have no contribution to make. No, it's just the humility to know I alone actually can't fix this. I need help. And so in order to succeed, in order to achieve goals, we need to prize what other people can bring to the table. Now, sometimes, honestly, Rob, that's counterintuitive. It's so much easier sometimes for people to say, I'm just going to do it myself. I'm just going to do it myself. Or it's easier to talk or collaborate with people who already agree with you and who already think like you do. And by the way, that is easier. Sometimes it is easier to do it by yourself. and Sometimes it is easier to just talk with people who already agree with you, except that it's never as effective. And so while it takes more work, to work with others, and while it particularly takes more work to value the perspective of people who are different than you, bring different ideas to the table, in my experience, it's always more effective, and therefore, the harder work is worth it.
0: Really well said, and one of the things I thought would be fun for my listeners to hear is about your presidential run. What was your biggest takeaway from that whole experience from a leadership perspective? What do you want to share about that?
1: Well, you know Let me just say as a citizen, I've said that leadership is about problem solving. And I actually don't think the system of politics is about problem solving. I think our political system is about winning. That sounds like such an obvious thing to say in many ways. But, you know, George Washington in 1789 in his farewell address to the nation, said, Beware the rise of political parties. They will come to care only about winning. And the reason I start there is because the dynamics of winning are not the same as the dynamics of problem solving. The dynamics of winning are about I win, you lose. I'm right, you're wrong. Let me wallow in this festering problem. Let me get you all fired up about this festering problem. The dynamics of problem solving are, let me find common ground. Let me figure out where we actually maybe agree on something, even when we disagree on a lot of things. And instead of just talking about this problem and how horrible it is, so please elect me, let's actually talk about the solutions and then go execute them. Running for president was a great privilege, and I think citizens have become in many ways cynical and frustrated because they want to see leadership in politics, and they don't. What they see is winning, run and win, run and win, run and win. And frequently that pattern of running and winning, running and winning means we talk about problems all the time. My gosh, we've been talking about the same problems for decades, but we don't actually get around to solving them. And partially, I began doing the work that I'm doing through my foundation as a result of my presidential run, because I said to myself, you know, we need more problem solvers in the world. And I know that anyone can lead. Leaders are made, not born, that we all have the capacity for problem solving. And so if it's not getting done where we want it to get done, it's not getting done in Washington, then let's make sure we have problem solvers in communities all across this country so that we can make progress.
0: Hey everybody, Rob here. Thanks so much for listening to the Nonprofit Leadership Show. If this is your first time listening to us, I wanted to make sure you were aware of a whole group of other interviews with fascinating guests that I've previously interviewed. Just go to our website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org, and there you'll find numerous interviews of nonprofit leaders from all over the country, even from different countries, all trying to make their world better. I think you'll really enjoy those interviews. We want to give you more content, and we'd like to get that information to you. And all you have to do is give us your email. When you go to that website, you can put your email address in that first box you'll see on the front page, and you'll be added to our monthly email update. In addition to some great content, you'll see the latest uh, podcast shows that will be actually sent right to you your inbox. And that way you'll never miss any of the great content on this show. The other thing I'll mention to you is if you have questions or comments or you'd like to be on the show, do not hesitate to email me. I'd love to hear from you. Just do that through our website, my email, rob at ccofpc.org. Well, thanks again for listening. Now back to the show. Well, we are sponsored by Cinch Web Services, your best choice for WordPress support. We have a special offer for those who listen to this show. First of all, Cinch is the best choice you can make for WordPress and WooCommerce support. They are experts at solving all sorts of website issues, from big problems like fixing a completely broken site to their tiniest of details that are stumping you. Cinch offers an ongoing support plan starting at $99 a month, which covers all mandatory website maintenance tasks, plus 30-minute fixes for free. I personally use Cinch for my websites, and I can say that support and expertise that I've received from them is top notch. They're great to work with, and I no longer need to worry about the health or status of our websites because Cinch is there for us. Cinch knows that most nonprofits do not have an in-house support team. So when problems arise, the last thing an executive director wants to do is be troubleshooting issues that are not in his or her wheelhouse, taking up valuable time that all EDs have very little of. So rather than relying on staff or untrained volunteers, let the WordPress experts at Cinch put your mind at ease and handle all your website troubles, maintenance, and tech needs. Now here's the best part. As I said before, you can get 50% off your first month of support at cinchws.com slash Nonprofit Leadership and just use the promo code LEADERSHIP during checkout. Once again, that's cinchws.com/slash nonprofit leadership and use the promo code LEADERSHIP for 50% off your first month of support. We want to thank Cinch for sponsoring our show and for being a reliable support team we can trust. So my guest today again is Carly Fiorina, former presidential candidate and CEO of Hewlett-Packard. After she ran for the GOP presidential nomination, she started the Unlocking Potential Foundation, which focuses on helping leaders strengthen their problem-solving skills and maximize their social impact. Well, well said. And, you know, many people are saying that there seems to be a lack of leadership with many of our government leaders across the board, state and regional and, and national. If that's true, why do you think that would be the case? What is missing right now when it comes to leadership in the political realm?
1: Well, I think the system is set up for winning. And as I say, winning is not the same as problem solving. And so in a system that's focused on winning, what do you do? The first thing that you do is you raise money from the people who agree with you most fervently. And this isn't a partisan comment. Republicans and Democrats do this. It's done at the national level, to your point, at the state level, at the local level. The first thing you have to do to win is raise money. And to raise money, you go talk to the people who already agree with you. So you get reinforced in what you already know. The next thing you do to win is you villainize the people who disagree with you. And the third thing you do to win is say, isn't it terrible that these bad people who don't agree with us are doing bad things? Elect me. But what you never get around to is actually reaching out to those supposedly bad people who disagree with you and coming up with a solution. Because the second you win, you're running all over again. You're running all over again. And so I just think the system isn't geared for problem solving. What I worry about, look, let's face it, people have lost faith in lots of institutions and we call people leaders not because they're leading but because they have position or title or power or fame or money and so when we see these people we call leaders not leading and when we see institutions not doing what we think they're supposed to do then we get frustrated and cynical and so honestly what what i want to convey to your listeners and to the people i work with every day is don't look up Don't look elsewhere. Look within you and all around you, right around you, because people closest to a problem actually do have great ideas about how to solve it, and we can, each of us can, put our shoulder to the wheel and not do everything, not solve the world's problems, but we can solve the problems that impact us most immediately right in our backyard. And so if we can do that, we should do that, and maybe... Maybe we will provide examples of leadership, not from people who have position and power and money, but from people just like your listeners out there.
0: I do think our
1: political figures need some examples of leadership from the citizens they supposedly are leading.
0: What's so interesting, it reminds me, we had Tim Shriver, who led Special Olympics for a long time on the show, and he was just mentioning that, that sometimes we overlook some just everyday leaders that are around us all the time that maybe don't have a name that's well-known or has a position of power, as you mentioned, but yet they're really leading well. So I like what you said about that, and maybe we need to relook at who are we looking at as leaders and what does leadership really entail? And that kind of leads to some some of the things that you're teaching You know, with your foundation. One of the arguments you make is if we're going to really truly be successful in addressing and hopefully solving today's biggest challenges, we as leaders need to be willing to change our styles or methods of leadership. What are the most important leadership methods it takes to bring about these social changes in your opinion?
1: Well, I think... In a way, we have to change our very definition of leadership, which is honestly, Rob, what you and I have been talking about for the last several minutes. We, Our culture tells us right now that leaders are people with position. The bigger position, the bigger the leader, we think. Um the bigger the name, the bigger the leader, the, the more fame, the more power, the more money. It just none of those things have anything to do with leadership, actually. It's not to say that a leader can never be a pos- someone with a position. It's just to say that it's not the position that makes someone a leader, It's the conduct that makes someone a leader. It's the result that makes someone a leader. It's the collaboration that makes someone a leader. It's the courage that makes someone a leader. It's the prioritization of a leader to tackle a tough problem, because it needs to be tackled. Not to just do the easy, quick thing, because that's what's gonna bring them acclamation and fame. And so I I think we have to get back to what I think are the fundamentals of leadership. Leaders change the order of things for the better. Leaders tackle problems that need to be solved. Leaders strike the right balance between clear-eyed realism and the optimism that says we actually can do better than this. Leaders are courageous. They... Understand Criticism is part of the price. They keep going when the going gets tough. They have that collaboration and they know they can't do it all. And they're willing to have empathy for others who can help them.
0: Well, you touched on this just a bit in your last answer in your various roles of leading organizations. Like what were your top three traits say that you looked for in your staff when it came to leadership traits?
1: Oh, it's such a great question. You know, one I was recently asked if I only had one to pick. So let me just start with that one. And if I only had one, I look for people who see possibilities. In my experience, there are um, two kinds of people. You, You know, there are some people who will come to a set of circumstances, and they'll start talking about what they can't do. Well, I can't do that. They won't let me do that. We've already tried that. Or they look at people and they say, well, they can't do that. They're not capable of that. They make judgments about what cannot be done or judgments about what a person cannot do. Those are people who see limits. And then there are other people who will come to exactly the same set of circumstances or encounter exactly the same person and say, oh, But we haven't tried this. And maybe they say I can't do this, but I actually think we can do that. And by the way, this person is capable of this. I look for people who see possibilities in circumstances and particularly in the people around them. So that's an incredibly important trait. I look for people who are brave, who have courage. And courage doesn't mean the absence of fear. We're all afraid. Courage means the ability to get over fear and you know people are afraid of profound things um, you know if you're a soldier you're afraid of dying if you're afraid if you're a parent you're afraid something bad will happen to your child but mostly it's unprofound things that stop us in our tracks. You know, I'm afraid of failing. I'm afraid of making a mistake. I'm afraid of looking stupid. I'm afraid someone will criticize me. Those fears stop people dead in their tracks. And so I look for people who have the courage to get over that. Maybe I'm going to make a mistake, but maybe I'm going to make progress and learn from my mistakes. And then finally, I look for people who are honestly humble not falsely modest, not insecure, but humble enough to see the value that others bring and humble enough to know they can benefit from what others bring.
0: Well, I resonate with every one of those. And a lot of my listeners are leaders of nonprofit organizations. And I'm curious, if you were consulting with them, what would you say are the most important things they should be doing now in their daily and weekly routine to grow as a leader?
1: that I would say is while you are without a doubt resource constrained and let's face it the nonprofit world is human potential is limitless it is limitless and in the end human potential is the most important resource we have to solve every problem and so Spend less time worrying about how to raise the next dime. And I know that's so important in the nonprofit world. I really do understand it. Spend a little less time on that and a little more time thinking about how do I unlock the human potential that is all around me? Maybe that human potential exists in the people you are trying to serve. Maybe they have a really good idea about what would make your service even more effective. Maybe it's in an employee or a colleague that you've overlooked. My experience is this. When you gather a group of people and you sit down and you start talking about a problem that you all intimately understand because you're impacted by it every day, it is amazing what people can accomplish and the ideas that will flow.
0: You, of course, now are investing your time in this foundation you started called Unlocking Potential Foundation. Maybe tell our listeners a a bit about it, um, and how can they find out more about you and more about the foundation?
1: Well, to find out more about what we do, go to carlyfiorina.com. You'll get directed to a variety of work that we do, including Unlocking Potential Foundation. The reason I stood this foundation up is because I saw through my own experience that while the for-profit world invests a fair amount of money and time in their human capital and their human resources, and we do a lot of work in the for-profit world, there isn't as much investment in human potential in the non-profit world. Some of that is because donors say, understandably, you know, I, I don't want my money to go to overhead HR and administration are frequently thought of as overhead, unfortunately. Training is frequently thought of as overhead, unfortunately. I want my money to go to the service, to the kids, to the meals, to whatever it is. And yet, if we don't invest in the people delivering the service, we cannot deliver the service as well. And so the foundation was stood up to say, I I want to bring everything that I know about problem-solving and leadership and team effectiveness to the nonprofit world. We have been blessed in having wonderful nonprofit clients to work with like uh, the Wounded Warrior Project, Easter Seals, we work in communities. We gather a group of nonprofits around an issue, for example we 've gathered nonprofits around the homelessness issue or about the inequity and in health outcomes issue, and we have corporate partners like American Express or Mass Mutual who fund us to go into communities and gather nonprofit leaders who work on a variety of issues, whether it 's um, services to support immigrants or education or domestic abuse. They help bring us into communities like Salt Lake City or Springfield, Mass or Memphis to gather nonprofit leaders together. And so it's incredibly uh, honestly um, fulfilling work. I'm inspired every day by the leaders that I meet in these communities. And so for me, You know, when people ask me if I'm cynical or frustrated about, for example, the state of our politics in our country, yes, but what inspires me and maintains my optimism is the leaders I see every day in communities across the country.
0: Well, thanks, Carly, for being on the show. You have had such a wide variety of leadership experience in both the nonprofit and for-profit sector. Thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to share with us today.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me, Rob. I really appreciate it. And, uh, I hope your listeners have found it useful. I've certainly found it, uh, enjoyable to speak to them through you.